Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, welcome to Going Off Track. I'm Jonah. Willkommen. What? I said Willkommen. That's for, that's for one of our German fans who's always saying that I, I my German is terrible. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, wait, say it again. Willkommen. Yeah, write us, tweet at us, let us know how bad that was. <laughs> Sounded okay to me. Please, bitte, as they would say. Um, Dude, I feel like it's been a thousand years since I've been in here. It's been a while. Yeah, so we just did a podcast with Steven, Virtual Steven. It was great. And now um, we're still hanging out, so we figured we would intro this episode today with Sam Cohen. Dude, I seriously, the, one, this episode is awesome, and I just have to take a moment to to uh, just um, toot the horns of Mr. Jonah Bear and, and Mr. Brad Goop, who, like... Due to my my parenting circumstances, which are awesome, uh, I don't get to come in and do the podcast anymore, and I miss it terribly. But Jonah and Brad have hooked up this fun Skype thing, and Brad makes it sound perfect. So, but you guys are just nailing it, man! Like, like it's really cool to hear. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. Yeah, it's fun to do. I mean, I, I talk about this all the time. Like, you don't get to have conversations with people for like an hour when you're not checking your phone or distracted. So I, I just like, I like doing it. Also gets me out of my apartment during the day, which is very important. I mean, that's really the main reason. Yeah. And today yeah. even got me up early. I've been on like the craziest sleep cycle. And I, I think it's from like, I went to SNL three weeks in a row, which like, I know no one's going to feel any sympathy for me about that, but it was like, I've been, can't go to bed before four and I've been waking up at like noon And I finally today, because of this, I woke up at like nine I meditated. I'm hoping like I can finally today. I feel like I'm finally getting back on a regular schedule. Very nice. I, I went for because of your horrible influence, um, my second power flow, hot yoga. And um, uh, I've come to this conclusion that there will be no kind of exercise that I enjoy, that taking care of my body is something to be endured Not unlike going to the dentist or the theater of Antonin Artaud, for you nerds out there. Um, it's like a trial. I am so, I went last week, I couldn't move my arms for two days. I was so damn sore. Today, I feel sick. And I'm in a room like that's steam filled, trying to do poses that I know I've done enough yoga that, you know, they can say what you want to do and I can, I can attempt to do them. But my God. It's rough, and it's. I keep telling myself it's a practice. You will get better, but I'm only doing this so that I can stay alive for my children. That's it. Yeah, it's good, man. I'm glad you're doing it, and it's. Um, yeah, I really miss it. I've been 
in physical therapy, but I'm hoping to get back. Get back. Yeah, on your, your Gibson guitar snapped your back. I was yeah, I was yeah, I was just talking to our guest today about he had like custom insoles and I was like I should get those. I was like, "Ugh, now all I'm talking about is like insoles and like my injuries." I don't know how this happened. Uh, um, you're 35. I'm Welcome. 35. But today's <laughs> guest Sam Cohen, I met when we talked about on the podcast. I met this guy when I was 17 and we did a summer program at Berkeley College of Music together. Holy five, shit. 5 week summer program and Sam was in the program with this guy, Jesse, and they went on to form this band, Apollo Sunshine, um, who are amazing. And my, our friend John Cheese worked for them for a long time. And, uh, Good dude. Then Sam went on to play in the band Yellowbirds, and um, he was playing in the subway for a while, solo, and uh, now he's has his solo career, and he's a full-time session musician. And he's also one of the most talented guitar players I've I've ever seen in my life. He plays... Lap steel, electric guitar, but so so versus he's when I watch Sam play, he's sort of like I was like, oh, we both went to this thing when we were seventeen, and then Sam continued to practice really hard and play, <laughs> and I got into like <laughs> hardcore and weed or whatever. Like I feel like Sam is <laughs> is like the example of if I had really applied myself to guitar. So and, um, and you can play guitar, so that's that's saying I can a lot play of guitar. Kind of people. But I know I know these people, and I hate them. Yes, but I mean, yeah, Sam is just an incredible musician, and he has a new record out. This is his first solo record. It's called Cool It, and it just came out on Easy Sound, and um, he's torn around. He's, uh, man, he's a super nice dude, but yeah, incredibly talented, and and we weren't really friends. We knew each other tangentially when we were teenagers, but um, yeah, it's cool to meet someone, you know, like... 15, 20 years down the road and see them kind of succeeding in music. It's pretty inspiring. I think that's awesome. Now, before we get to Seth, I want to, I want to bring up something that we're, we want to try with, with our awesome listeners, because, you know, we keep track of how many people listen to the show and, and we're stoked to have all of you do it. And we're doing, we're doing pretty well, but I want to rip off something I heard from a uh, Dan Carlin's hardcore history podcast. Awesome podcast. Um, it's so good. It's ridiculous. It's so good. It's like, I need to drive somewhere for four hours. Like, what can I do so I can listen to his podcast? They're so great. But he does this thing that I'm sure other podcasts do as well, where it's a dollar a podcast. So if you listen to our podcast week to week and you like it, just go to our website, goingofftrack.com, go to that donate button, send a buck, send a dollar. And it's it's something to uh, help us break even. Uh, Jonah does a lot of work for this podcast. Brad does a lot of work for this podcast. I stay home, but specifically it's just, I think it's cool. So a, a buck, a podcast. So if everybody listening to this right now, just sends us a dollar. That's pretty cool. It's also a dollar. <laughs> it buys you nothing. Yeah. Think about all the dumb dude. I, yeah, I waste a dollar and like not waste a dollar, but you give a dollar to everyone. I feel like, especially these days, guys. Yeah, it's it's basically you just tipped us. That's it. Yes, that's true. Okay, so there you go. There you go. That's it for that. Um, and let's get into it with um, Sam Cohen. It's going Tell me about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, here we are going off track. Sam Cohen, what's up, dude? Hey, how's it going, Jonah? Good. How are you? I'm excellent. We were just talking about how we met, um, Berkeley Guitar School. Mm-hmm. I was seventeen. I remember. I, was I guess they to... taught other instruments. Too. Yeah, but who cares, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess it was a it was like a five week workshop. 
Yeah. It was awesome. Up to that point in my life, I think that was the most fun I'd ever had in my life. I'd been like, you know, a 17-year-old kid living in my parents' house and then just got like dropped off in Boston. Yep. <laughs> like no supervision or anything for five weeks. Yeah. yeah. Like hitchhiking to festivals and it was awesome. Really? Yeah, we had a blast. I feel like I had a very different experience. Like it was my first time away from home and I felt like me and my roommates would just like just eat cupcakes every like i felt like we were so immature like i felt like everyone else was like partying and getting laid and stuff and we were like let's eat like a whole pizza like no one can tell us when to go to bed (laughs) i guess there was that too but i remember you because you were like kind of like had this kind of rockabilly thing and you had like like a big kind of hollow body or something like was it white or something yeah i had a big white gibson back then (laughs) i wish i still had that guitar so we had this summer, and then you ended up staying at my house mm-hmm. in Cleveland with in John Cleveland. Cheese. And with, your roommate, Chris. And my roommate, Chris. And you were playing in Apollo Sunshine. And you met those guys actually that at the Berkeley thing? Met Jeremy at that summer program, yeah. Okay. And then he and I went to Berkeley, and then uh, we met Jesse through living in Boston. He'd like gone to Berkeley for a minute. Um, by the time I met him, he wasn't anymore. But it was that group of people that we met him through so how soon after that summer thing did kind of apollo sunshine come together was it it was still a few years okay so i still had like a year of high school after that so i went back to houston finished high school made my first like weird rockabilly record (laughs) And um, and then moved to boston and jeremy did too uh, and then he and I started playing in bands right away, but we had one called Cash for a few years. We used to like tour the East Coast and do Mac Rock and stuff. And this was like the late 90s and early 2000s. Everything was like emo and pop punk. And we were like the band that did like a little bit extra guitar stuff and like yeah. melodic stuff. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, and then as that was sort of like dissolving, our friend Jesse had started playing bass in the band, and then his band, Hill Valley, was dissolving, and that's when we started Apollo Sunshine. Okay, and Apollo Sunshine to me was like still at like one of my favorite bands to see live. Like everyone, all you guys are such incredible musicians. Thank you. And just like I remember just you playing like lap steel and then slide and like Jesse jumping around from keys to bass. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I guess like. Where did you sort of feel like you guys, did you feel like you fit in anywhere or what? Because I always felt like, I felt, I don't, you know what I mean? I haven't reached a point in my career yet where I felt like I fit in uh, at all. Um, Yeah, I've never, never knew what our scene was then and and still don't uh, now. But yeah, like I said, it was like a lot of a lot of our friends were sort of more emo and pop right, punk right. back then. We weren't quite doing that, you know. We were like friends with Piebald, and like they were doing really well. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess just like it's a taste thing. Like I, when I met them, it was like, oh, you like the Who and Cornelius? I love the Who and Cornelius. <laughs> Let's start a band, you know? Yeah. But then, like, you guys would like be like. We're going to cover this Outcast song or whatever. And it was always like. I, 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 yeah. I mean, Jesse brought a lot of that, okay. that silliness that made yeah. it like so fun and, and made it kind of like go off the rails from time to time. Um, that was kind of like one of the best things about being in a band with him. It's like things were super unpredictable. Like he definitely a courageous performer. And you guys were a four piece for a little while. Didn't you mm-hmm. have another dude? 
Yeah, our buddy Sean Aylward played in the band yeah. for like a year, maybe a year and a half, and was on the second record. Okay. And then towards the end, different people would come on tour with us. There was this percussion player, Ali, who would come out, and our friend Quentin Stoltzfus came and did some tours um, and like produced the last record with us. And John Cheese would sometimes dance with you guys on stage? Yeah. Am I remembering so, that right? So the, the earliest years were the best years of that band because <laughs> we had two people who toured with us. John Cheese, who's like our tour manager, and then um, our friend James Tracy, who was like our confidant, our like, uh, he was like the fourth Apollo Sunshine okay. at that time. He'd like pop up for an extra instrument on certain songs. Then and, and, uh, we had very like, very like, DIY light show going on back then. We had like strobe lights, and John and James would coordinate like turning off the house lights when James turns on the power strip on stage with the strobes. You know, yeah, yeah, like lots of fun stuff like that. And we just had a blast. It was like our first time traveling around, traveling around the country, and it was so fun. You guys also had like like a school bus or something later. So we we okay. had a series of funny vans. We had like. The first one was was like an ambulance transporter, and um, I took it in for a repair at one point, and it uh, basically got condemned. They said I couldn't have it back. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. I didn't know that could happen. I didn't either. <laughs> and it just got locked up in a weird junkyard, and, like, we had to hop the fence to get our stuff out. It had a hole in the floor, like, you know, Flintstone style. You could see the road go by. And like if you drop something, it's just gone? Yeah, yeah, if it were the size of a pin or <laughs> smaller. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and in our, like, uh, in our innocent minds back then, I th- we, were, we were like, what, what is this scam? They just, like, took our van as if, like, right. there's, that's anything but a burden to have to deal <laughs> with that, you know, 5,000 pounds of junk. And then the next one was an even taller ambulance transporter we were like super into those and we put like hundreds of thousands of miles on that one just like doing laps around the u.s and then the third one we'd been talking to the piebald guys and mike parziel about vegetable oil and we got like got into that idea and uh we were also at that point as a band where it's like, okay, maybe we need to get like a nicer van because like we're getting these junky things and in like two years they're like you know toast so we like, and this was the worst decision ever. We got like a nicer, newer van, like just a couple of years used, and converted it to run on vegetable oil, and that just like totally killed that van. It just really? like yeah, it just didn't work out well. And then I was so gung ho at that point, I was like, no, nope, we're doing it again. And I, I think so. I think we'd bought that van for like twenty thousand dollars. And then, like, only got like three thousand back for it. So it's like, all right, well, we got these tours lined up. We got three thousand dollars, and bought a yellow short bus with like the real school bus door, right? Painted it blue and like did a wood interior with like benches and everything, and converted that to run on vegetable oil too. Because the logic was, it needs to be a simpler engine without all the computer and all that okay. business for it to run right, you know. Right. So, like, we got an '89. Okay. And then that bad boy uh, was all right. Okay. It, for a little while, and then actually the transmission went out on it twice. One time the transmission went out in the desert in Arizona. No way. Yeah, and we had to sleep in a junkyard. <laughs> and. Um, yeah, and then we got towed the next day, like, another 100 miles to Yuma, where this shop that was, like, had a race car team 
fixed the transmission, and we rented a pickup truck and drove to Las Vegas to do a show, and then came back and got our van. That's it's crazy. crazy man. That was the very end. That was the last tour. What? Not surprisingly. <laughs> so what was it sort of like, the, because my band had talked about doing the vegetable oil thing, and we were like, it seems like a lot of work driving around trying to find it, but it seems like you don't have to pay for gas, so they saved so much money. Mm-hmm. Not the case? I, I mean, that was the I, that was the thinking, for right. sure. But uh, when you actually got out there, it wasn't that way. I mean, first of all, it cost a lot to convert those vans, so so that'd be a lot of gas to make that back. I mean, we were touring enough that we'd spend, you know, sometimes $5,000. This was the height of the gas prices, too. So, like, you could spend $5,000 in a few months, you know, touring. But uh, but the other thing was the time investment. It certainly wasn't worth the amount of time. And we yeah. were in a gas guzzler pulling a trailer, right? So, like, on a live tr- long drive, like a West Coast portion of a tour, you know, we might need, like, a hundred gallons of fuel a day. So you got to find and filter all that. So you're burning through filters. The filters were expensive. Like it's been a few years, but I recall they were maybe like 12 bucks a pop. And we might go through, if we got some really dirty oil, it's all being filtered in line. Like your fuel pump is like pulling it through these filters. So it's a lot of wear on your fuel pump. And if you get some particularly dirty grease in your tank, you'll go through a filter in a day. Uh, and then, like, if it's breaking or if you don't find the grease, then you're running on diesel anyway. Right. Or if you, like, stall because the grease was too dirty, you get a little wigged out about it and just, like, let's get to the show. You just buy diesel for a few days and, like, take a break. So it it, it looked like a long road to actually recoup on the investment of doing that. Yeah. And, and the pain in the ass never resolved itself. I think my advice for eco-conscious bands would be to rent a Sprinter. And if you're really touring that much, buy a Sprinter. Yeah. Because they get like 27 miles per gallon. And they're large enough for your gear without a trailer. And, uh, you know, I might be revealing that I'm like old now, but like, Play through smaller amps. Maybe you don't need, like, to bring the whole world with you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I felt like a lot of bands were doing Veggio, like, 10 years ago, and I feel like I don't haven't seen anyone do it in a while. Yeah, I haven't either. Is the world less punk rock now? Or maybe. Why, why is that? Or <laughs> maybe they just realize it's so stupid and it <laughs> maybe, doesn't work. <laughs> maybe everyone's, maybe it's, like, every, maybe it's that, but maybe it's, like, instant gratification now. Everyone's, like, just... No one wants to be like, let's spend three hours driving around mm-hmm. Chinese restaurants looking for. Yeah, I mean, oil. it's crazy. Um, I, so I was trying to like find some Apollo Sunshine stuff this morning, and I like couldn't really find a lot on Spotify. Yeah, our first two records are right now not like okay. available digitally. It's just, it has to do with like their masters, but where they were originally released on Spin Art, and then one little Indian, when Spin Art went out of business, bought, like, their whole catalog. And then so they had that for the remainder of Spin Art's license on those records. And then when that ended and we regained control of the masters, we sort of just like, like we're not a band anymore, and we're, we're, I don't want to call iTunes or figure this right, out. Right. So it just hasn't been available for a couple of years. But it's actually it's going to be reissued this year with a oh. vinyl pressing and stuff, too. 
Of the first two records? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I mean, why do you think that... I felt like you guys got on some cool tours and were such an amazing live band. The records are great. Why do you think it never really, like, <laughs> took... I know it's hard to put your finger on, but I it's, just... Yeah, it's... I don't know. It was... Yeah, because I just feel like... is Yeah, I don't know. It, it was always mind-boggling to me. Like, I just felt like... Every time, like, it was like the grog shop, the grog shop. I was like, they should be playing somewhere bigger. There should be way more people here. Mm. Yeah, I know. I mean, I still can't put my finger on it. I feel like I'm making better stuff than that now. <laughs> it's like, you know, the haphazard applause, you know, and it, minimal fanfare. I don't know. I always just sort of take it personally and go work real hard and try to do a better job. But I know that's not having a ton to do with it because I see some shit that's so bad. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does yeah. well. But I try. I tend to not focus on that and just look at the stuff that does well. That's like Tame Impala or Jonathan Wilson. I'm like, oh, I just need to work harder. These guys are amazing. That's why they're big, which so, is true to an extent. Yeah, definitely. So you guys had moved upstate at some point into like a farmhouse, Western Mass. Western Mass. Yes, yeah, Leverett is near Amherst. Okay. That was a super cool period of the band. That was the second best period of the band. The best <laughs> period was like the first year, like. Prior to making our first record in the year following making our record, when James and John were touring with us and we were having all that fun. And um, and uh, then that period in the farmhouse was cool, too. We'd, like, been out on the road, kissed some girls, and we're like, we're the band now. We're hardcore. <laughs> we're an American institution. So we got, like, our farmhouse. And uh, we had a weekly gig at this place, The Harp. And we were still touring a lot at that point. But if we were home every Thursday, we were playing this bar. It was great. We'd play from like 10 till 1 in the morning. We usually have a party. It was only a mile from our house. Um, it was a really fun time. And just like swimming and being outside and then hitting the road. And, you know, after so much touring and so much like city life, it was awesome to like get home and just like leave the trailer sideways in the driveway. and <laughs> Just like have so much space to mess around. So then, so Apollo Sunshine, what sort of happened with that, and how did you kind of end up in New York? So uh, around that time that we were living in the farmhouse, which was about two years, pretty much towards the beginning of that, Jeremy uh, met a girl in San Francisco, and he was, like, spending most of his non-touring time out there. So we'd be doing those, like, weekly gigs with other drummers from the area and stuff like that. Made a lot of friends that I still am good friends with. Um, And then... Jesse had a girlfriend at that time who was like came out to live with us for a little while and re-enrolled in school in Boston and so he was going to move to school with her. Sean had left the band at that point moved out to LA so it was pretty much just going to be me in this farmhouse which was obviously you know ridiculous and uh and our landlord had sold it to this like crazy hippie you know like the uptight hippie yes I mean kind of most of them are but like he sold it to an uptight hippie like, even though he was our landlord, he, he thought that he still had, could be there whenever he wanted. He was like, well, I own it. So he'd be, like, camping out in our yard. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. He was a total weirdo. <laughs> uh, so so the, that scene was beat. So <laughs> uh, it just kind of felt like, you know, I could move back to Boston, but that didn't. That sort of felt like a lateral move. And we had become a band that like lived in different cities and i was like that's not, i'm not really down with that like moved out here to be like this tight knit right you know band of gypsies uh so at that point i was like okay maybe i'll move to new york and like the band stayed together for another 2 
almost three years after that. But I think at that point I was like, I'm going to go put my feelers out and see what other music is out there for me. I remember running into John and him being like, I saw Sam, he was playing in the subway. Yeah. So was that sort of the next, your next kind of musical endeavor? That was actually my next musical. It's like, it's hardly documented when at all. This? I didn't record it or anything. So that would be like 2006. Because I feel like I got, like maybe I, we were friends on MySpace or f- whatever the thing was then. And I remember you being like, I'm going to be at this subway station like at this time. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I actually paid my rent. For a few months doing really? that. Yeah. It was, I called it I Am the Bison, and I played, it's like a one-man band thing. I had like a mechanical mannequin hand that hit a snare and, you know, played the kick drum like you play a kick drum and then strummed an acoustic and had a harmonica and sang like Leonard Cohen and Nina Simone songs and Karen Dalton and stuff like that. It was cool. It was actually, when it affected people and was nice, it was like such an amazing cathartic thing to... To use that repertoire of songs that is so meaningful to me and be playing it for people that, in a lot of cases, I was sure had never heard the song before. And you could see people listening to the lyrics, and uh, there were just some really cool moments. Yeah, I always think that's, like, also, like, so brave. I feel like I can never just, like, get down there and set up and, like, just play for people who are just not there to see me. There was some nitty-gritty like that, too. Yeah. Yeah, there were were times that it was sort of, like, felt bad (laughs) but whatever you know what i mean just because you say it's a concert doesn't you can't impose your concert on them right Right. you just gotta like play the songs it's there in the air it's available and when it like when it becomes a real part of the atmosphere that like is meaningful to them that's amazing because it didn't have to be because it's not like formulaic you know so like obviously it doesn't work all the time and then that you know whatever we're all artists. We, you want to kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also smart. Like, I feel like it's like, especially in New York, it's like, it's so hard. Like everything here, I feel like it's like pay to play or it's like, you're, you're like, you're, it's so hard to make money. I feel like as a musician here, it's like amazing to do something like that where there's like kind of no overhead. Mm-hmm. And when you do get to where you're filling places, you're still sort of preaching to the choir. Right. right? So it, it loses some of the meaningfulness of. What, I mean, it doesn't have to, but it can. Like, yeah. Music is a way of connecting people. It's a great way to do that. I mean, things have obviously changed so much. I feel like even since, like, 2006, I mean, do you feel like you like it would be different trying to do that now? Or do you feel like it's like... I, I never know if I'm older or the world has changed. Yeah. But it seems like the younger people aren't doing all the same stuff I did. Right. Like... Guys and girls in their mid-twenties seem like sort of a lot more 30-something to me now. Like, they're not going to go live in a van for two years, for, or at least the ones I know. Yeah. You know? Some of them are playing in my band now. <laughs> like, you know, they seem mature. They want a nice apartment. They know how to decorate. They know how to dress themselves. Like, I didn't know any of that stuff when I was that age. Yeah. it's Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's crazy how I feel like time like goes by so fast, sort of. You know what I'm saying, man? For sure. <laughs> I've been having this like sciatic nerve thing, and so I've been taking these muscle relaxers, and I feel like sometimes they make me like a little bit loopy. Uh huh. I feel good. Nice. But <laughs> just in case I say anything weird, that that wasn't weird. I mean, time goes by fast. 
Yeah. I mean, it gets faster the older you get, right? So I have a five-month-old daughter. Right. And it's crazy, like, the percentage of her life that a day is. And you totally feel a year be, like, not that big a deal as right. you get older and stuff like that. But So you were doing the on the bison thing. Yeah, I was doing that for a little while. I did one, like, actual show Okay. of that, or maybe two, and uh, mostly just did it in the subways. That was where it was best. And then, um, and then I did it at my sister's wedding reception. I wrote a song for her wedding, and the mechanical hand broke while I was playing it. And then that was the end of it. It was sort of like the emotional climax of I Am the Bison, and I didn't do it anymore after that. Did you feel like the hand-breaking was like a metaphorical sign for you to stop doing it? Yeah. Yeah. Something happened. Yeah. Where I was like, I could fix this, but it never really worked that well. And Yeah. Fuck it. There's also a weird thing. Is there cussing on this? Dude, it's, okay. go crazy. Cool. Um, I had a one really dark experience in the subway where this, like, dude out of, like, a David Lynch movie sort of accosted me. Like, I had gone to some of my normal places to play, and there was somebody in all of them. So I, like, ended up on the subway, like, you know, pretty far away from my house and making lots of transfers with, like, all this instruments and stuff so i set up i start playing and then a guy shows up who apparently this was like his turf and he was like sort of pissed and no one was really digging it that much this day and he uh there's something about him that was like the predator he was like like this short grizzled guy with like a black goatee and like Wearing all black, he had, like, alligator teeth in his black leather hat and, like, really dark, wrinkled skin and uh, a black guitar and these crazy teeth and this grizzled voice. He was like, you don't need all this accoutrement. Just play the song if it's any good. And, like, on this particular day, that, like, really affected me. It's like, yeah, I'm bullshit. This sucks, man. Uh... That guy now lives around the corner from me in the halfway house. No way. Yeah, I see him all the time. He doesn't recognize me, fortunately. And we've actually had some friendly exchanges. I think there might be some bipolar there, actually, from seeing him around the neighborhood. Yeah, I never thought about, I guess, that etiquette. If someone's there, you can't really play. Yeah, well, that's like, I'd moved on three times already that yeah, day, yeah. so I thought it was pretty annoyed that he came up and like berated me. So how did kind of the Yellowbirds thing come about? Um, It just started when uh, I made some four-track recordings, two songs that ended up on the record, like the home recordings were the final versions, uh, Pulaski Bridge and In Our World. And I wrote them both, like, got my first apartment with my girlfriend, Sarah, who's my wife now. Okay. And, like, had never lived just alone with no roommates, just me and my lady. And it was awesome. Both those songs were just about like having a space, being in our little world. And I made them on a four track and I was like super into Les Paul. And it's got lots of like sped up kind of guitar sounds, things like that. And it just, uh, it didn't sound like Apollo Sunshine to me. And the process is sort of like auditioning songs for the band and then like siphling through and then like combining them with Jesse's songs and like finding the vibe of the record together, like finding that middle ground of like, what are us two songwriters talking about rather than just like, I'm just going to say whatever I'm talking about. Um, it just felt like a moment where it was like, it was a, it was a different, a new canon, you know, had begun. So that was like the beginning of Yellow Birds and it was just like put up 
a MySpace page and called some friends about doing some shows with me and like put a band together and then made the rest of that record and then it was sort of off to the races did that for a few years and and now you're <clears throat> excuse me and now you're about to put out a solo album right? yeah that comes out in april so it's my first um first solo thing i think yellowbirds had kind of like by the time of the release it had solidified into a new band that it remained like through the next record and all the all the touring and shows and stuff and uh and then it sort of reached a point where everyone's schedules were pushing and pulling and it was like it was a band and that everyone was invested and we had the great chemistry together, but still like as a form of expression, it was still like only, it was only my baby. And, uh, since there's not like a ton of money coming in as a result of those shows, it's like scheduling stuff is like maybe a higher priority for me than right. for everyone else. So that was part of going solo was just like, I kind of just need to, and I got to work too. Right. So like our gigs weren't always lining up and, uh, yeah, it was just sort of a point to uh, to to streamline it again, you know, sort of like when I left Apollo Sunshine. But it also was a shifting canon too. Like I'd I'd just been working in a different way. I'd been working a lot alone, which I've always really enjoyed. Like when I look back on making demos for Apollo Sunshine Records and too, like really some of the happiest recording moments are like not in the studio and not with anyone. It's just the four track the song appears on the tape and it's got this cool vibe and you listen back and it's like, Oh, I made that. And I'd never really made a record like that. It was always just remain demos, but I always had this like great affinity for those recordings. And so this is the first record where that pretty much is the record. There are three songs uh, that the Yellowbirds guys play on, but the rest is just alone recording, playing everything. So did you produce it yourself? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I mean, most of the time, 80, five percent of everything on the record is just no one else in the room that's amazing what kind of work do you do outside of music stuff i don't work outside of music okay. stuff i produce a lot of records okay. and play on a lot of records um occasionally do like shows but i haven't had to do a ton of touring other than my own in the last few years that's great, man. I th- for some reason, I thought when you were like, I got to work, too, that it was like, I no, was picturing just the, like, you, like, gigs, the projects yeah, yeah. we take. I mean, pretty much everyone in the band, Annie, the bassist, uh, works for Science Friday, but the other two guys are working full time as musicians. So that that's what I meant by like the gigs that pay the bills. Yeah, and, yeah. Have you done any kind of like session type work or anything? Yeah, like that? quite a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I played on, um, well, when my friend John Hill was living here, he was just nominated for producer of the year at the Grammys. No way. Yeah, he would put me on stuff. So I played with Nora Jones when I was working with him and played on Shakira's record and did some like CeeLo stuff. And then a lot of like other stuff that I can't remember the name of. And uh, produce a lot of things for friends and then their friends call me to make the record sound like that one or whatever. So pretty much busy all the time now that started about five years ago and it'd be like maybe one or two projects a year and now there's pretty much always there's one or two going on that's awesome yeah um i do upstairs with my sister and we shot something with Nora jones which her with her band puss and boots Mm -hmm. which was really cool but i was talking to someone who did that kind of work too and they were like they played bass and i was like what was it like this person like oh they weren't there like it's sort of he's sort of you come in and kind of cut your part and you're not really involved with like yeah most of that big name stuff, it's that way. With Nora, it was cool because we were doing live sessions. Oh, really? It didn't end up being the record. 
Um, which is too bad because I remember it sounding really cool. But either way, it was a super cool experience. It was like, uh, it was a great band. It was DeAnthony Parks on drums. I was playing guitar. She was just singing at the piano. Um, it's where I met my friend Dan Goodwin. He was the engineer on the session, and I've done tons of stuff with him. He mixed both Yellowbirds records and oh, masters nice. a lot of the projects I produce. Um, but you just listen back. She has this cool home studio uh, in that big publishing building in uh, what's that square called? Over, Over by Joe's Pub, um, Astor Place. Okay. Yeah, and it's like cool tape machine, cool board. And you just listen back, and there it is. It's like, wow, done. She's an incredible singer. Yeah. That was super cool. Um, What has sort of kept you sort of, I guess, like making music? I mean, like, obviously, like, you're really good at it, but I feel like so many people sort of from that era, like, got married and have kids like you did and then sort of were like, like John, like, I'm going to be a realtor or I'm going to, like, go back to school or do something. I mean, what's kind of kept you? Because it is, like, it is such kind of a hard lifestyle Hmm. Um. Well, I feel like it's the only thing I'm really qualified to do. Like, if I were to try to get a job at this point, I would just be some schmo doing something that I'm not particularly skilled at. Whereas doing this work makes me feel good about myself. I feel like I know what I'm doing and I'm becoming an expert. And, uh, I mean, it's been hard at times. Like, the the hardest part was transitioning out of Apollo Sunshine, which was, like, a meager living, but it was what I was relying on. So when I decided to pull back from that, that first year, maybe two years, was just really hard financially. Like, letting people know that I was interested and available in doing other things. And then, you know what I mean? It Like, you can't just be like, okay, I'm... Producing records now and available for sessions. You <laughs> right, know what I mean? Right. People just think of you as like the guy in Apollo Sunshine. Oh, he's he's doing something. I wouldn't call him to like right. be in my band or do anything. Uh so that was that was a really hard transition and th- and that was a time when I was like, Ugh, maybe this isn't gonna play out. You know what I mean? I was like looking into all sorts of weird ways to make money. I was like, Should I get into teaching? Should I what should I do? I mean, I guess that's not that weird, but Really looking into alternatives. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, stuff started to pick up, you know, publishing, like licenses has been pretty good in the last few years and, and it's just gotten better. The work's gotten steadier than able to like start asking for a day rate that is reasonable, you know? Yeah. Whereas like at first you have no confidence, right? You're like, oh, whatever you can <laughs> afford or nothing. T- totally. And you're also like. I have no money. I assume everyone has no money. Right, right. right. <laughs> like, when it starts to be sort of a living, you know, you can talk to people that way. It's it's my job. You know, even though it is a craft and a f- art form. And, and I only really work on stuff that I am into musically, which is amazing. Yeah, I wish I could say the same about my writing. I feel like sometimes I get to write about stuff I love, and then sometimes it's like, yeah, and like... Got to pay the bills. I can see why that would have to be yeah. the case. What, um, how much do you think is like just musical talent? Like, especially kind of getting to the point you're at now. And how much of it do you think is just like being just a cool guy to hang out with who isn't like, because I feel like that is like a really big element of it as well, I'd imagine. That's super important. I mean, the vibe of a session is so huge and you don't necessarily need a star in every chair. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you've got like a cool bass player who's a quick study, 
never fucks up, you know, but he's not like Pino Palladino, but he's like really funny and like makes everyone laugh. And when the vibe gets a little weird, he's the guy who gets it back on track and is like, no, this is great. Let's just keep going. Cause honestly, that's part of the process. Like you got to keep going. Everyone can get in their head and just derail something that might be going well. But if someone has that positive energy and it's like, let's just see this through, you know, then maybe it ends up great. Or maybe you're like, no, we were on to something when we said this sucks. But like, at least you got something done. Right. You know, you didn't derail something from being great. You know that you saw it through, you realize it. So I think that kind of vibe is definitely who I want to be surrounded with. And I'm sure everyone feels that way. Do you still play a lot of lap steel? Um, getting back into pedal steel. Okay. I didn't have one for about a year. Um, and every so often, like I had sort of lost interest in it. I wasn't like particularly drawn to it for a while. And then people would call me and be like, can you play? And I was like, well, I don't have one. And I like played on some records where we just borrowed a steel. And after that happened a few times, I remembered how, how beautiful that instrument is. And, you know, felt a little bad that I'd let my skills like, drift on it a bit so i got a new one and and have been actually brushing up on it a bit more now that's awesome yeah that's such a cool instrument like i've always wished like i would learn how to play it it's what it's in an open tuning well pedal steel is the coolest because it the the foot pedals and the knee levers bend strings really by half steps or whole steps okay and and you can combine them in ways that uh, you pretty much you have all the harmonic possibilities. I mean, it's not like a piano where you can voice it in any way you choose, but you can on a on a pedal steel you can make all sorts of complex chords. You know, chords with you know extra tension notes and all sorts of things, and voiced in like several different voicings. And uh, it's cool. It's it's a lot more open than than a lap steel. You know. You can actually do like minor seventh chords and minor ninth chords. Interesting. It's, it's awesome. Did you did you end up going to Berkeley? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then did you sort of continue kind of studying kind of theory and all that stuff? Or like how did you um, kind of... So I went on... I got a performance scholarship and thought I would go be a jazzer. Because I'd been taking lessons in Houston from this great guitar player, Clayton Dias, who's like just a badass jazz player and... He had a real life story to back it up and I thought it was cool and I was into rockabilly and like that sort of having like real skills in jazz would be awesome for that kind of thing. But I was also at the point where I wanted to sort of harmonically expand. And then I got to Berkeley and just couldn't find a teacher that I was like really thrilled about. I'd, I'd sort of already had my mentorship, I guess. I'd found the guy and done that. So I switched to the production engineering program. Not super interested in it at that time because I was like really focused on being like just making my band be good. But the thinking was I could get some free studio time out of that or whatever. And that was super useful because I learned Pro Tools and I learned what mics, different mics sound like and some techniques. You know, it didn't come back for like 10 years till I was really engineering things for anyone other than myself, you know, but but the background was good. I loved the theory classes, though. Like, that was the stuff that I felt like informed my guitar playing. Uh, But more importantly, my songwriting, you know. So do you still, like, you can read charts and all that stuff? Yeah, chord charts is is no problem. And no one really ever asked me to do 
anything other than that. I mean, recording, it's like if it's a melody, you just learn it. Right. Unless it's like super long, maybe you learn it ahead of time. But I've never been asked to sight read a melody in my whole life. Do you remember that dude, the teacher at Berkeley, Joe Stump? Yeah. I took lessons with him. Oh, wow. That was incredible. So I've never heard you play guitar. Could you shred? So when I was like 17, 18, I like sort of could. I don't think I can now. I play in a band now, but it's like very, like we play an open D and it's very like kind of like rhythmic. It's a lot of like fast right hand stuff, but it's not like shreddy. Mm -hmm. But at that point, like I felt like it was like on the border. Like I could almost get it, Mm -hmm. but like not quite. And then some of those dudes would just sit down and just be like, like, yeah, remember that guy Gus from Brazil? Yes. He was nasty. Yes. I did a session with that dude. Like I was playing rhythm or something and he had written this song and he was like, Dude, I haven't thought of this in so long. He's like, I'm gonna record my parts. I was like, I was like, cool. He's like, everyone get out. Like he wouldn't let anyone else. In- this was back then. Yes, this was when we were like teenagers. He was like, no one else can be in the room when I record. Oh we're my just God. like, all right, man. We're all just hanging out. Like, but I guess yeah. Wow. But he was an incredible guitar player. He was really incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think about that dude sometimes. I wonder what he's doing. Yeah, I wonder what he's doing too. It was interesting because I felt like. There was such, like, I felt like there was such a big, everyone's either into jazz or into, like, dream theater. Right. Like, everyone had, like, that John Petucci, like, signature Ibanez. Right. With, like, the weird Picasso-y stuff on it. Right. That's why I didn't stay in the performance department. I just couldn't find my match. Yeah. I kind of rebelled against, like, virtuosity, too, when I got to Berkeley. Like, I started writing songs. I started listening to The Clash a lot and Elvis Costello and was, like, writing songs with no guitar solos or anything like that. And then it was fun when I rediscovered guitar again. It was like, oh, wow, yeah. Solos yeah. are great. I love solos. <laughs> they are great. But, yeah, it's true. I feel like a lot of those virtuoso guys, it's like it's impressive to watch, but it's, I feel like it's really hard to make it musical in the sense of, like, involving other people or making it, like, a complete idea. It's more – it can be just kind of show-off-y. Yeah. That was a big step for me in Yellow Birds, like, when I switched from Apollo Sunshine to Yellow Birds. Like, in Apollo Sunshine, we had – a lot of guitar and keyboard solos in our shows, but it would always be over like a one chord groove or vampy kind of thing. And, and it, it, you know, other than like the dynamics of like the thing, which can be awesome on one chord, it can be totally great. But I, I sort of missed the like drama of a great chord progression. And so that was a shift in yellow birds that was to like really start playing over changes so to speak like take the guitar solos over the first chord progression and like be really melodic about it and i think i think i I instantly and still get like a lot less praise as a guitar player than i did in apollo sunshine because it was just like flashy solos over one chord it's just like you know but but i think it's so much more musical and i'm more proud of what i'm doing now but it's definitely gotten subtler, so yeah. even harder to make fans than ever. <laughs> what are what are uh, Jesse and Jeremy up to? Jeremy's got a studio in Oakland called Coyote Hearing that's, like, pretty flush. And he's been producing and enge- engineering a lot of stuff. Plays in a psychedelic band in San Fran called Sandy's. It's really cool. Okay. Jesse is kind of like the mayor of Cambridge. He's still in Boston. Um yeah, plays with a lot of cool cool people and has been working on his own stuff for, like, actually years. He's been working on a couple of songs for years, and I think they're finally almost finished. Yeah, we were up there. We played this place, Great Scott, there mm-hmm. um, a couple months ago. 
I love Boston. I haven't really that, that summer was like really the only time I ever spent a lot of time there. And I felt like I would just go to like Little Stevie's Pizza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Place is nasty. <laughs> I wonder if it, it can't be as like, I, but I also feel like I would go to all these hardcore shows at like the Middle East downstairs, mm-hmm. and it would be like they'd have to stop the shows like three or four times because of fights. Mm-hmm. It was like. And I wasn't scared. When I was like 17, you know, like you're not scared of anything. Mm-hmm. I'd just be standing next to the pit, like people getting beat up. I'd be mm-hmm. like, you oh, know, this is fun, whatever. Like, if I had gone in there now, I would be like, no way I'm hanging out here. Right. I know. It's funny, like, when I look back on some of the places I was. Like in Houston, for some reason, a lot of the shows I went to, skinheads would be there. And, like, one time I sort of got, like, circled by a few, and I can't remember why, and they were, like, pushing me around. I was like, oh, man, am I about to get fucking curbed or what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would get ugly. What were you—did were you, you live in Houston? Yeah, I grew up in Houston. Oh, I didn't realize that. hmm Gotcha. So you were in Houston up until college, basically? hmm Yeah. For some reason, that's, like— we're not, I feel like Texas is such a crazy place. It is a crazy place. <laughs> and I feel like everyone I know is like, yeah, Austin's cool. It's like, yeah, Austin's cool. But like, that's such a small part of Texas. A lot of Texas is cool. Uh, and, it, it, you know, in ways other than the way Austin's cool. Yeah. That's like, that's how everything's cool now. Right? right. You know what I mean? Like, it's like Portland cool or, I mean. I'm talking like I'm above it. Me and my wife were very, very close to moving. There Dude, I know. This year. I, I was too oh, before, like before I moved here. But I, it's like I feel like if I want to move, I want to go somewhere that'll. I feel like at those places, it's almost like too late or something. Like everyone knows about it. It is. Yeah. Where do you think the next cool place is? Like Detroit or something? I don't know. It, it doesn't matter for me. It's I'm <laughs> too late. I'm too vested in what I'm doing. You know what I mean? I'm not gonna go like. Like, here in New York and with the people I've been working with over the last decade, you know, there's, like, five of the most amazing drummers you've ever heard that I can call and be like, can you play tomorrow night? My normal drummer's not, you know, feeling well or whatever. Same with bass. Same with keyboards. Same with guitar. Same with singers. Same with every horn or stringed instrument. It's like, if I go to Detroit, like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that'll be the case. Is it is it having a kid stuff more difficult here, or is it just sort of one of those things where it's just like you kind of deal with it and it normalizes? You know, in some ways, that's that's like why we were looking at Austin. We we're like, oh, having a kid here is going to suck. It's going to get so expensive, which it has. Right. But it's going to get expensive anywhere. We're going to need a bigger apartment. That's going to be a financial disaster, which it is. But <laughs> I don't know. It hasn't been yet. And... uh one good thing about it is, you know, people in the suburbs, when they have a kid, they're like, oh, it's so isolating. Like, I never go out anymore. I never do anything. Like, here our friends are really nearby. You know, we live in a neighborhood with lots of our friends and just run into them on the street. And, like, yeah. people come over to hang out just for a few hours. You know, you don't have to make, like, some big plan. So that part of it's been really nice. Like, it's hard to imagine having as tight-knit a community somewhere else at this point to go yeah. there and try to start with a kid and like you know try to pick up the career somewhere else yeah i feel the same man it's like i feel like i've been getting a little restless sometimes but i'm always just like where would i i feel like if i move somewhere i'd get there and just be sitting on my couch i'd be like now what do i do mm-hmm. like whereas here it's like there's tons of stuff to do and if i choose not to do it it's like strangely reassuring that i know i can just like go outside and like find a friend or someone's bartender totally. or and like i don't know how to meet people 
like the way I make friends is I, I go, hey, man, for like 10 years. <laughs> and then uh, eventually we're at like someone's wedding together and we're like, oh, yeah, we go way back. And then we start talking and then we're friends. Like that's sort of, that's sort of what it takes. Yeah, you, you don't know? want to rush into friendship. That's right. <laughs> um, and do you still ever talk to John? Well, just when I see him, but yeah. I do see him around. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that era was just such a crazy time. I, feel, I remember also when you guys were at my house, I had this like huge CD collection, and you guys are going through, and like someone in your band was like, "This is cool, man," but like, where are all your Beatles CDs? <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> that must have been Jesse. <laughs> I think it was Jesse. <laughs> I feel like I was like being very judged on it. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> um. So solo record comes out. Are you going to be doing like uh, any? touring kind of to support i hope so yeah i need to book all that stuff still which you know i just get busy in that part of it (laughs) this is like a lot of work but yeah we'll be doing some stuff i know we're gonna do pickathon which is a festival outside of portland in august so we'll probably do a tour around that and um you know at bare minimum there'll be like a release show here in new york and probably boston and some other places like that but i think we'll probably do a bit more touring this time around are you so you're gonna have guys backing you with the solo stuff yeah yeah okay. we played last thursday the first time and we're actually playing tonight at oh, yeah? shea stadium okay yeah it's a three-piece band in addition to me so drums bass and keyboards got like four keyboards and it's like yes or something we got nice. like a mega synth structure <laughs> uh, dude i would go i'm seeing father john misty tonight oh nice rough trade but i've been to shea stadium before it's cool yeah yeah. Oh, I would like to see Father John Misty. I didn't know that was going on. He's playing, yeah, tonight at Rough Trade, and he's playing somewhere set on Valentine's Day, too. Oh, maybe I'll go to that. Yeah, I think it's at Bowery or something. Where do you find out things are happening? I feel well, like I always hear the next day that something yeah, cool will happen. The only reason why is, like, cause, because I write about music, and that it's like I just get press releases from everyone, so mm-hmm. I'll be like, there'll be a Father John Misty, new album, blah, 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 here's his dates, and I'll look at it, and then I'll, like, put it on my calendar, and then I'll be like, hey, can I go to the show, and usually it works out yeah but um yeah that's that's the only reason i know but even with that all the time like someone will be like dude the show last night like why weren't you there i'm like i don't know it's especially here it's so hard to keep track of everything yeah yeah like every night there's something massive yeah um i'm trying to think what else so where can people kind of they can get the record kind of once it comes out uh hopefully record stores yeah (laughs) there's still some of those i I think. think it'll be in some of those uh it's on this label, Easy Sound. It's a new okay. label in California. Um, so you can definitely order it from them or download it on iTunes or all the usual places. Yeah, that's ex- that's so exciting, man. Yeah, I'm stoked on this record. I feel like it's it's definitely my the best thing I've done so it, far. Yeah. Well, kind of for- by a long shot, though. Really? Yeah, I really I like it more than, than anything I've done. Do you feel like you generally feel that way about the most recent thing you've done or not necessarily? Um, or does this feel usually, just kind of different? Usually, but this does feel yeah. different. You can tell, I can tell when something's haunting me about a record. You know what I mean? Um, haunting you in the sense like it it bugs you or that like... Yeah, there's something not quite right about it. Like, Like the... My last record, I sort of, there was something inside of me that I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I just didn't, you know what I mean? Just something, 
something felt unsure. And I remember saying, no one's going to like this. And, you know, some people loved it. Right. Well, it's interesting for you to say that because I feel like a lot of people feel more that way about, like, a solo thing where there aren't as many people where it's, like, just you. You're like, eh, this is, no one was here to be like, don't do that. Yeah. Uh, And and I think this record benefits from that. Yeah. Yeah. I think just just cool shit happened fast, you know, and it, it it wouldn't have with a group of people making decisions or like making room for each other or the traditional like things you do as a band i think it just wouldn't have stacked up as well and there's a simplicity to it it's like really complex songs and forms on a lot of stuff but like pretty simple instrumentation you know there's not a ton going on so everything sounds bigger to my ear there's like more space in the music things breathe and you can really hear everything it sounds good to me. <laughs> Is there any shredding on it? Yeah. Yeah, there's more shredding than I've done in a while on it. Nice. But live, there's even more shredding. Dude, awesome. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Wow, that was fun, huh, Steven? I, I enjoyed it. I know you weren't I just actually enjoy here. listening. It's kind of weird now that, that I'm, I'm, you know, as you said before, tangentially involved. I love that word. I, no, I, I don't, I'm, I don't I'm more think of a that fan of the podcast now than I am on it. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think you are an integral part of the podcast. It's what? just cool to it's cool to listen to the conversations and, and see where things go. And uh, one of my favorites is is whenever, whatever podcast it happens, when Brad is involved, when it turns to like sound and things, you can almost hear this switch going off in his head. <laughs> you can see how excited he gets yes. to talk about production and stuff. That is true. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sadly, Brad couldn't be in this one, but we did get mm. a lot very into sort of guitar and, and tech stuff, um, dude. But Brad's Brad's a busy guy. He, he's got a job, which I've I've heard can be very time consuming. I've heard as well. You know, um, it's really I'm, great. I'm, now, Jonah, I'm, what what can we hear you doing or, or read about you of late? Uh, well, I have a I have a cover story on Fallout Boy um, for Alternative Press's 30th anniversary issue, which. Wow. Is, is either out now or is going to be out very soon after this comes out. I know you can pre-order it. Um, so it was cool. I spent uh, three or four days with them uh, a couple months ago. I went to the floor of the New York Stock Exchange with them. They rang the closing bell. I went to Vintage Vinyl to a signing. I rode around with them a lot. And it's long. You know, it's like 4,000-word story. And I'm wow. really happy how that came out. Uh, United Nations just announced some dates with Coliseum. Um, who are an awesome band. Uh, we have a podcast with Ryan Patterson coming out soon as well, and those are going to be in the Midwest in um, late June, playing Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit, Columbus, and Pittsburgh. So you have jobs. you got it going on. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Um, but, yeah, so that's sort of where you can find find me. Oh, and uh, new sound advices are always coming out, I think. Ah, so good. We have one, one coming out actually today. But that you'll be able to watch when this is out, one with the vamps, um, which is really fun to do. And you get to see my sister do her um, incredible British accent once again. She is very smart. Oh, by the way, if you're if you're on a computer right now, go over to um, Yahoo and check out Sprint Fan Connection. That's the stuff that I've been doing uh, for a bit. And it's loads and loads of fun talking with everybody from Big Sean to Megan Trainer to Flogging Molly. It's glorious. I like how we 
plug all the stuff I'm working on at the very end when just that one guy who always tweets at us is still listening. As long as he's tweeting and sends us a dollar. Oh, and also, me and Stephen were also just interviewed by Chris from Let's Chat Podcast. Oh, God, so nice. And he is the awesomest dude ever, and check out his podcast, and I think ours are going to be up soon, and he's trying to get Brad to do it, which I think we need to pressure Brad into. Well, that's the thing is, no, 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 we have to talk to Brad first. Oh, yeah, that's true. We should do an episode where Brad is I just want to do an episode with Brad, but then, but I want to, like, I want to, um, I think it would be great to just have him in here and talk the old East Village thing. But see, Brad, Brad knows where the bodies are buried. That's the thing about Brad. <laughs> yeah, Brad's a little bit, he's, he's a little secretive. He's pretty cryptic because he, yeah. he knows stuff. Yeah. I'll never, I, we brought it up so many times, but if you, if there was just a camera in the room to see mine and Jonah's expression when Brad just casually referred to Tim Armstrong as Lint. It's true, man. Brad's a legit, <laughs> legit punk dude. He's a powerful dude. He is. Well, there you go. Check us out at uh, Going Off Track on the Twitter. If you want to hit us up on Facebook.com at Going Off Track. Uh, dollar a podcast, people. Go to our website. Click on that donate and um, send it on over. Send it over. Yeah. Check us out on Twitter. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and we will be back next week. Right on. Right on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.